Welcome to Sound Prints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prints for the week of August 20, 2023. Our first announcement is from the American Printing House for the Blind. Make reservations now for the performance of Their Story, Their Song, performed by the Braille Readers Theater on Saturday, August 26. This is a new play written by one of our own, B.T. Kimbrough. The APH Museum is closed to make way for the new Dot Experience, opening in 2025. But the play must go on. We're staging it at the Crescent Hill Presbyterian Church, just about a mile from the printing house at 142 Crescent Avenue in Louisville. Opening night is Friday, August 25 at 7 p.m., with a second show on Saturday, August 26 at 1 p.m. Doors will open an hour in advance. The play lasts about an hour and a half. The story focuses on Fanny Crosby, the famed 19th century hymn writer and mission worker. She wrote more than 7,000 hymns, some of them under different names, so as not to fill up the hymn books with her own name. B.T. not only wrote the show, but he also directs it, and he plays the part of Thomas, the host of a podcast called Let's Be Real. Barbara Henning and Terry Turlow are featured as actresses playing the roles of Fanny Crosby and Phoebe Knapp, Thomas's guests on the podcast. If the play is about Fanny Crosby, there has to be music, right? We're fortunate to have a talented group of singers to join the cast in singing a few of Fanny's hymns. Ian Bray, Deanna Scoggins, Kathy Zinier, and Fred Otto are the singers. For more information and to register for one of the performances, call Katie Carpenter at 502-899-2213. The South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind Social Hour meets each Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. Central Time, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on their Zoom line. Some weeks they have a speaker. Other weeks it's open conversation. The Zoom number is 699-900-6833 and the code is 763-689-4211. The next in-person Low Vision Support Group meeting will be at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville from 1 to 2.30 p.m. on Monday, August 28th. Come to the support group ready to ask questions and share tips, successes, and frustrations as you move along on your low vision journey. This group is sponsored by the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision, and all are welcome to participate. The Eastern Kentucky Christian Council of the Blind will hold its next in-person meeting on Saturday, September 16 at 11 a.m. 
To find out more about the location of the meeting and to ask about transportation, call Ronnie Patrick, president of EKCCB, at 606-671-0226. KCB Next Generation will hold its August program meeting on Thursday, August 24, at 8 p.m. on the Zoom line. The topic is accessibility and audio description. Anyone age 40 and under is urged to attend, and others interested in Next Generation are welcome as well. For more information about Next Generation and to obtain their new Zoom link and dial-in information, call Joey Couch, President, at 606-216-8033. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind invites you to Page Turners on Friday, August 25, from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. on the KCB Zoom line. This is your chance to share good books, talk about what you like to read and what you don't like so much, and generally to share the joy of reading with each other. The Zoom number is 669-900-6833, and the code is 862-9889-6972. On Friday, September 1, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind invites you to share in our Rain or Shine Labor Day picnic. It's a hybrid roundabout at United Crescent Hill Ministries in person from 4.30 to 8.30 p.m. and virtual from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. We'll have hamburgers, hot dogs, and plenty of other good picnic food and, of course, dessert. We'll play games with our Zoom participants from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., so come share at the start of your Labor Day weekend with us. Remember that dinner costs $6 per person and also that you need to make your return rides between 8.45 and 9 p.m. There are four pages on Soundprints this week. On page two are some articles from the April-June edition of News Magazine, which is published by the Library of Congress. On page three are obituaries for Oral Miller, the fourth president of the American Council of the Blind, who passed away a week ago in Washington, D.C., and also an obituary for Dr. Ron Milliman, founder of the South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind in Bowling Green. Ron passed away on July 31. Page 4 contains some clips from the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout on August 11, where we shared our back-to-school experiences. We hope you enjoy this edition of Soundprints. Soundprints comes to you 12 times each week on ACB Media One. Our broadcast times are Sunday at 8 p.m., Monday at 8 a.m., Tuesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., Wednesday at 4 a.m. and 4 p.m., Thursday at 10 p.m., and Friday at 1 a.m., 10 a.m., and 1 p.m. Listen to ACB Media One using the ACB Link app on your iPhone or on your Alexa device by asking her to open ACB Media and then choosing the number one when prompted. You can also listen on your Victor Stream by searching for sound prints in the Victor database or on the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Listen anytime, 24 hours a day, on the KCB information line by calling 773-572-6318. For more information about Soundprints 
and to request a free subscription on CD playable on your standard CD player, call the Kentucky Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598. Page 2. From News, April-June 2023, Volume 55, Number 2. News is a publication of the National Library Service. NLS and VA team up to streamline enrollment for eligible veterans by Mark Lehman. The National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled, NLS, has been committed from its earliest days to serving veterans. When Congress created NLS in 1931, motivated by concern for soldiers blinded in World War I, the establishing legislation stated that preference shall at all times be given to the needs of blind persons who have been honorably discharged from the United States military or naval service. NLS has done that in various ways, by putting veterans first in line to receive new playback equipment, for example, and by forging relationships with groups such as the Blinded Veterans Association. Now NLS has taken another step toward fulfilling that commitment by partnering with the Department of Veteran Affairs, VA, to instantly sign up eligible veterans. By mid-May, VA Blind Rehabilitation Services, BRS, staff members had enrolled nearly 500 veterans in NLS and the initiative is just beginning to pick up steam. Typically, a person signing up for NLS service completes a four-page application that requires a certifying authority, such as a doctor, therapist, or school counselor, to attest that they have a visual impairment or a physical or reading disability that makes it difficult to use regular print materials. The application is then forwarded to the NLS Network Library that serves the applicant's state or locality. That library completes the enrollment process and welcomes the new patron to NLS. In the rapid sign-up program, however, a BRS staff member who's been trained by NLS approves and submits a streamlined application online. Patrons with an email address can sign up at that time for BARD, the NLS Braille and Audio Reading Download Service, and begin reading right away on a personal smartphone or tablet with the BARD mobile app. If they don't sign up for BARD, they will receive books, magazines, and playback equipment directly from their NLS network library. NLS also provides books and magazines in hard copy and electronic Braille, and recently began the long-term loan of refreshable Braille displays to patrons who don't have an expensive commercial model. But it takes time to learn Braille, so the great majority of patrons who enroll because of age-related vision loss or as a result of a sudden trauma use audio materials. Quote, it's really exciting for us because in the field we work in, blind rehabilitation, NLS, 
is a very common resource for our patrons with visual impairments, says Esteban Zuniga, Z-U-N-I-G-A, NLS Program Consultant for Blind Rehabilitation Services. But the time it takes to go through the usual application and approval process can be discouraging for some potential patrons. Quote, they're overwhelmed with all the things they're going through, other issues they're addressing as they adjust to the loss of vision, Zuniga says. So being able to enroll quickly is key. They want to start reading as soon as possible. End of quote. And in the rapid sign-up program, BRS certifiers are right there to show the veterans how to use the playback equipment or BARD and answer any questions they have. NLS conducts online training sessions for BRS staff members. By mid-May, about 80 in 39 states, the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico had completed the training and begun enrolling eligible veterans. Nicole James, a rehabilitation outpatient specialist with the VA in Southern Arizona, says some of the veterans she tells about NLS, quote, might be a little reluctant to sign up at first, but then afterwards they say, oh my gosh, it's really cool. I'm so glad you talked to me about it. Now I have something to do besides sit and listen to the TV all day. End of quote. She appreciates the speed of the rapid sign-up process. Previously, many potential patrons never got around to completing a paper application or mailing it in, she says. Quote, now by the time I leave their home, they're up and running and already listening to books. End of quote. She recalls one man she recently enrolled through the rapid sign-up program. Quote, he was flabbergasted when he received an email confirming his enrollment almost immediately after she completed and certified his application, she says. She showed him how to use the BARD mobile app on his smartphone and suggested he give it a try. He said, there's this one book I want to read, but I know they're not going to have it. And he typed in the title, and NLS had the book. He was floored. He called his wife in and said, Look, they have the book. It was really neat. It made me feel good as I could help him with it, and that he was so excited. With tens of thousands of titles available in the NLS collection, deciding where to begin can be a little overwhelming. So new patrons who enroll through the program can request starter packs of books curated by the NLS Collection Development staff. Starter packs are available on BARD or on digital cartridge for a variety of subjects, including history, mysteries, westerns, and hobbies, and for books in Spanish and French. We love the starter packs, James says, adding that westerns are the most popular subject among her Southern Arizona enrollees. This isn't the first cross-government partnership for NLS. In 2014, NLS and the Bureau of Engraving and Printing teamed up to provide free currency readers 
to people who are blind or visually impaired. Since then, they have contributed about 100,000 currency readers. NLS also works with Walter Reed National Military Medical Center to enroll eligible patients through the Maryland State Library for the Blind and Print Disabled. A patient's local network library takes over service when they are discharged. But this is the first time NLS has experimented with a streamlined application process that allows a new patron to start using BARD right away. The initiative developed after Neil Graham, an Air Force retiree who is chief of the NLS Business Operations Division, attended a 2019 Blinded Veterans Association National Conference and observed the close ties between the BVA and the Department of Veterans Affairs. NLS had a long-time relationship with the BVA, but not with the VA, he says. So we began looking at ways we could develop that relationship. Graham and others from NLS met with Nicole Sandlin, National Program Director of Blind Rehabilitation Services, which each year helps many of the estimated 1 million veterans with vision loss develop the skills and confidence to lead independent, fulfilling lives. In December 2019, Sandlin Zuniga and other VA staff members toured NLS. Around that time, the idea came up for a streamlined enrollment process for veterans. The pandemic slowed plans, but by the spring of 2022, a pilot program to train BRS staff members was underway. In addition to people with visual impairments, NLS serves people who cannot hold a book due to a physical disability and people with reading disabilities. With the successful launch of Rapid Sign-Up with Blind Rehabilitation Services, NLS has also begun offering certification training to VA librarians and staff members who work with eligible amputees. Also from news, April-June 2023, comes this article. NLS marks 100,000th Marrakesh Treaty Download by Mark Lehman. NLS recently marked a milestone with patrons' 100,000th download of audio and braille materials acquired under the Marrakesh Treaty. It was 10 years ago this summer that representatives of 51 nations meeting in Marrakesh, Morocco voted to adopt the Marrakesh Treaty to facilitate access to published works for persons who are blind, visually impaired, or otherwise print disabled. The treaty was created to ease what has been called a worldwide famine of accessible books. It establishes limits and exceptions to traditional copyright law to make it easier for organizations like NLS to share accessible books across borders. The treaty is in force in 118 countries. The Marrakesh Treaty has been a boon for NLS foreign language collection. Since 2020, when the treaty was fully implemented in the United States, NLS has added more than 5,300 books 
from treaty members. Nearly half are in English, mostly titles published in Canada, including some that weren't previously available in the U.S. About one-fourth are in Spanish. Twenty-five other languages are also represented. A California patron recently was thrilled to find NLS books in his native Persian. And when a Minnesota patron requested Leo Tolstoy's Resurrection in Finnish, NLS got an audio copy from Celia, Finland's National Library for Accessible Books, which would have been almost impossible before the Marrakesh Treaty. In 2021, NLS began an online publication, International Language Quarterly, to showcase these new books. And with the rapid growth of its Spanish collection, NLS launched a Spanish-language website, www.loc.gov slash NLS slash ES, this past February. Much of the cross-border sharing of books is done through the Accessible Book Consortium, ABC, Global Book Service online catalog. Libraries serving people who are blind can search the catalog to find accessible digital books from all over the world. NLS has uploaded more than 191,000 items to the ABC Global Book Service, mostly audiobooks, but also braille books and music materials. They have been downloaded more than 5,000 times in 47 countries since 2020. While the Marrakesh Treaty removes the legal constraints to sharing accessible books across borders, some technical challenges remain. Many countries that uploaded audiobooks to the ABC Global Book Service use an older digital file format than NLS. So before NLS can add one of those books to its collection, it has to convert the file so it can be played on NLS equipment or downloaded from BARD, the Braille and Audio Reading Download Service. NLS has automated that process for some file formats, but not others. When a patron from New York recently requested more books in Hebrew, for example, NLS found plenty of choices from Israel on the ABC Global Book Service. But Israel uploads books as MP3s, which have to be converted manually to NLS's file format. Undeterred, NLS so far has added about two dozen books in Hebrew to its collection, including the Hebrew Bible and books by popular Israeli authors. Kelsey Corlett Rivera, NLS International Language Librarian, says the Marrakesh Treaty, quote, has allowed us to expand our collection in a variety of ways, from broad interest English books in Braille to specific items in languages spoken by fewer people, and everything in between. Many people associate the treaty only with international language books, but the fact is our participation has benefited a huge portion of our patrons, and the titles we have shared globally are helping to reduce the book famine around the world as well. 
NLS Ad Campaign Wins Top Award, also from News Magazine. The latest NLS Digital Advertising Campaign has won a Platinum Award in the Hermes Creative Awards Digital Marketing Campaign category. The campaign, created by Aptive Resources of Alexandria, Virginia, began in October of 2022 and ended in May. It included ads on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and other sites. Shown in print is one of the ads that ran on Facebook. The Hermes Creative Awards is the largest, most respected creative competitions in the industry. The awards are administered and judged by the Association of Marketing and Communication Professionals. And the caption says, one of the NLS Facebook ads. The illustration shows from the waist down a man lifting a woman off the ground with headline text reading, Is there a greater love than a good book? Page 3 from acb.org In Memoriam, Oral O. Miller Article April 7, 1933 to August 6, 2023 Oral O. Miller, fourth president and former national representative, executive director of the American Council of the Blind, second president of the United States Association of Blind Athletes, passed away August 6, 2023. He was 90. Originally from Sophie in Carter County, Kentucky, Miller moved to Ashland at a young age. He was the third of four brothers and was the last living of the four. He lost his sight in an unfortunate accident when he was in the third grade. Following his recovery, he attended the Kentucky School for the Blind and was mainstreamed during his high school, graduating as the valedictorian of Louisville Mayo High School in 1951. Readers note, Oral also graduated from the Kentucky School for the Blind in 1951 because students at that time graduated from both KSB and the public school that they attended. Oral lived on the campus of the Kentucky School for the Blind while he attended Mayo High. End of note. Miller became interested in sports while in high school, participating in wrestling and track and field at the Kentucky School for the Blind. When he went on to Princeton University, he continued his interest in sports by joining the crew team. He wrote an article about his experience, which was published in the July 2005 ICEVI newsletter, The Educator. In it, he stated, My most touching experience as an oarsman took place late in my senior year when I received the Biddle Award, which is presented to the senior who, in the opinion of his fellow oarsmen, has contributed most to Crewe and Princeton 
that year. In my athletic life, I have been fortunate enough to win a number of honors, but the Biddle Award is among my most treasured. He went on to study law at the University of Chicago Law School, graduating in 1958. Two of his classmates were former presidential candidate Ralph Nader and former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld. Shortly afterward, he began practicing law under Claude Asbury, an attorney in Catlettsburg, Kentucky. Miller moved to Washington, D.C. in the late 1950s. After working with the U.S. Navy, Miller practiced with the Small Business Administration for 22 years. While in D.C., he became involved in the local blind bowling leagues. In 1969, he was elected president of the American Blind Bowling Association. In the early 1970s, he was actively involved in Ski for Light, a cross-country skiing program for people who are blind and visually impaired. He also got involved in the American Council of the Blind and was active with the American Blind Lawyers Association, becoming president of the affiliate in 1976. Two years later, he was elected ACB president, serving until 1981. A few years later, he married Roberta A. Douglas. He continued his interest in sports by working with the United States Association of Blind Athletes, where he served as the organization's second president, and the International Blind Sports Association. More recently, Miller was a member of a D.C. area rowing club called the Out of Sight Dragons. In 1984, Miller and then-President Grant Mack assisted with the merger of the World Council for the Welfare of the Blind and the International Federation of the Blind, now known as the World Blind Union. Miller served as chair of the WCWB Resolutions Committee and presented a paper on the right to access to information during one of the professional sessions. In 1986, he gave a series of lectures in Japan at the invitation of Mr. Masahiro Muratani of the Japanese National Council for the Welfare of the Blind. He visited Osaka, Kyoto, and Tokyo. In the late 80s, when ACB was in serious fiscal trouble, Oral voluntarily gave up his salary as national representative. He believed deeply in ACB's mission and demonstrated it on a daily basis. Miller retired from the American Council of the Blind in 1998, the organization's national convention was dubbed the Miller Time Convention. ACB's Board of Publications read a letter of commendation and presented him with a copy of The Wild West at the banquet. Oral's cousin, Virginia Founts, 
was the surprise guest reminiscing on tape about the walk along the Great Wall of China. Janice Peterson kicked off the celebration with a song she'd written, Climbing the Ladder of Life. Then Director of Governmental Affairs Julie Carroll told about how Oral gave everyone a nickname, from the staff to the guide dogs. She presented Oral with a Beanie Baby Squirrel. Nolan Crabb, then the editor of the Braille Forum, presented his memories. A number of others spoke, sang, and shared their stories of time with Oral. Mark Reichert cracked the audience up with his lessons and voicemail. The biggest gift presented to Oral and Roberta that evening a trip to a trip for two to Vienna and Salzburg, Austria, two concerts in Vienna, hotels, sightseeing, and meals to depart December 28, 1998. Reader's Note The Kentucky Council of the Blind presented Oral with a Kentucky Long Rifle. It was given that evening by Pam Shaw. End of Note in 2014, Oral earned a Miguel Medal from the American Foundation for the Blind. He was preceded in death by his parents, brothers Glenn, George, and Charles, and his second wife, Roberta A. Douglas, 2003. He is survived by his first wife, Carol Gartrell, his nephews, Robert Bob Miller, Lloyd Miller, Clay Miller, Mark Miller, Charles P. Miller IV, cousin David Fouts, nieces Tammy McVeigh, Judy Williams, Kathy Thene, Francis McKinney, stepchildren Jeannie Harvilla, Lori Douglas, Ian Douglas, and George Douglas. Funeral services were held Friday, August 18, 2023 at 4 p.m. at the Sparks Funeral Home in Grayson, Kentucky. Mike Harper as the minister. Burial will be at a later date in the Mount Olivet Cemetery in Frederick, Maryland. A celebration of life service will be held in the Washington, D.C. area at a later date. The next obituary is Dr. Ronald Earl Milliman from the South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind. This was forwarded to us by Natalie Couch from ACB. Dr. Ronald Earl Milliman, March 25, 1944 to July 31, 2023. Obituary. It is with a very heavy heart that I tell you, as of 11.45 p.m. July 31, Dr. Ronald E. Milliman, a.k.a. Dr. Ron, loving husband, son, big brother, great dad, a.k.a. K-H-H-S-N, happy silly youngster, a.k.a. Dr. Catfish, is gone. 
He lived a full, rich life, stricken with blindness at an early age, only to have regained sight and then to have had it permanently lost again years later. Many would have been angry, disappointed, halted, but not him. He went on to earn multiple degrees in the fields of business and psychology and went on to enjoy a long and highly acclaimed career in academia. He loved teaching. He enjoyed many small business ventures of his own. He enjoyed investing in real estate. He enjoyed life, and he shared that joy with family, those he called friends, and even strangers. My dad could and would talk to anyone. Over the years, as an advanced level ham operator, he logged multiple global contacts. He was one of the most positive people I have ever known, and never once have I heard him say the word can't. It just was not in his vocabulary. He was a professor at WKU, Western Kentucky University, for almost 30 years, retired in 2012, a loving husband, a great father, an entrepreneur, a ham radio operator. But what dad was at heart is a fisherman. He was never as happy as when he was sitting on our dock or out in our boat, casting a line. He was all these things, but to those of us that knew him best, he will always be the big kid with a fishing cap on and a grin from ear to ear as he holds up his latest prize catch. He is and will always be a mighty inspiration to those that knew and loved him. This is K8HSN, the happy, silly youngster, signing off. Page four. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get started. I'm glad everybody's here tonight. We're going to be talking about going back to school. Anyway, just for fun, we want to do two things tonight. We want to talk about what it was like for us individually going back to school. If you went to a public school, if you went to college, if you went to um, a residential school, you know, Kentucky School for the Blind or another residential school, and what it was like getting ready to go to school when you went off to school somewhere away from home. That could also be college if, if you went away to school. Um, and, and that could have been, you could have done that several times before. Or if going away to school could have been your first time after you got out of high school. So um, let's just, we're going to talk about that. And then we also want to have an opportunity, and this may get mixed in, but we want to have an opportunity to talk about what it is that you would like to learn. Debbie Green, you can go ahead. Okay. Well, uh, 
one of my earliest memories about school was, was going to first grade. Um, I, there was no kindergarten back then in the Stone Age uh, when I went to school. But I remember being stressed out because I knew that when kids went to school, they, they read. You, you, you read things at school. And I knew I didn't know how to read. And I had this expectation that I was going to be asked to read, and I had no idea how to read. And I just, it's crazy looking back, but I remember being, being stressed out about going to school on that first day of school. It was, it was pretty scary for me. So <laughs> just my misconception of what school was going to be all about. Deanna. I um, have two different things to, to talk about. There's back to school as a kid because, and that was always exciting to see everybody and meet all the new kids and, you know, just the first day was fun and then I wanted it to be over. Then going back to school as a teacher was kind of fun and it was always exciting to plan the new year and um, just see what we were going to do with the kids and everything until I was on the committee to do the high school schedule. We were all on the committee one year and it was awful. Um, I didn't like that year, but other than that, going back to school was always fun. So Deanna, you were, uh, you were a dorm student, right? Yes. Okay. So the first day you came to school and, and you were just coming from Shepherdsville, but that was, that that wasn't exactly you know ten minute drive back then because no it wasn't expressways. So what was your first day? I mean, when you first got there and you were this little bitty kid. Yeah, I was five, and I I was there, and um, the three girls that I met were Midge Ball, Ethel Atkins, and Madeline Schnitzler, and they talked to me some, and my parents left, and I'm like, what am I supposed to be doing here now? I had no idea. Well, I mean, I knew I was going to go to school, and I knew I was going to be in kindergarten, but I really didn't know what that was. I saw all these great big books that my brothers and sisters had, that my brothers had. My sister was already gone, and I thought, well, I, was, I guess I was going to get books like that. Well, first day of kindergarten, we didn't get any books. <laughs> we, put be we put beads on a string, and I had no idea why we were doing that. And, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I did it, but I had no idea. I, why are we doing this? You want me to count them? I know how to count. Teacher didn't. Teacher went. You know, she was. She walked away and said, "Fill up the string with beads." Okay. Um. So that was kind of interesting. I I don't know. Carol Holiday was my teacher in first grade. Um, and she was seemed like everywhere I went, she was there. At the dorm, she was there. In the in the classroom, she was there. And I was eating dinner, and she was there. And it's like, how can you be everywhere? Are you? <laughs> Anyway, I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, there were a lot of, I don't have a whole lot of memories of kindergarten, but I remember being super excited going back to first grade because I knew I knew, uh, you know, I knew where, I knew the way around and I knew the kids and I knew I was going to be a big kid and there was going to be some little kids. I lived in, in Louisville, um, but my, my kindergarten, my first day or few days, was very, in some ways, similar to Deanna's because um, the first two weeks I was in school, I 
um, I was I stayed in the dorm, and I thought it was absolutely great because I didn't have anybody to tell me, you know, there were all of us little girls in there, and one dorm parent, and nobody told us when it when we'd been out playing too long. They, you know, they were just glad we were out playing, and they didn't have what twenty girls, forty girls, I don't know, twenty girls, I guess. Um, all in the dorm to watch at one time, we were out on the playground. And so, you know, my parents came to get me after one week, and I didn't want to go home, so they let me stay. And the <laughs> second week when they came, they knew that I must be sick because I said, I think I need to go home. And I was sick for a week or two. So I had just overdone it. So, but it was exciting going and some kids didn't see it that way, but I didn't have kids to play with at home much except one friend. So mm. here all of a sudden I had, you know, um, 10 or 15 girls that were, you know, that I could hang around with. It was like having an instant family. Well, I was a day student. I went to Georgia Academy for the Blind, and um, I was a day student. And what I didn't like, and I don't know if I really picked up on it maybe the first year or two, but I picked up on it the next few years. I know that much because I started school on Labor Day or before Labor Day or whatever it was. You know, everybody else had Labor Day off. I had to go to school on Labor Day, and I did not think that, that was fair. <laughs> yet I was there, you know, because I, I didn't want to get in trouble, but yet I, my sister and brother got to stay out of school on Labor Day, and I just didn't think that was right. You know, I was a day student, and then um, when I get to college, I went to a local college in town, so I just lived with my parents. Now, that was kind of interesting and different because I had homework to do, and I'd want to study way past what they wanted me to study, and I'm like, you know, you know, that's when you shut the bedroom door and you turn the tape player on and you have um, earphones on and whatnot, and you try to write, write on your braille writer really quietly if you needed to, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> if you wanted to take notes or whatever it was, or you did all the writing before you went to bed and you did some reading while you were already in bed because you knew you could do it with with the earphones. So, you know, that was interesting just to keep up with with um, with the work and, and, and being told. I can hear you. Turn that off. You don't look. I'm in college. I got to study. You know. <laughs> you right. know. And my father would. Uh, I'd type papers, and then of course he would try to proof them for me before I took them to class. And if he if he saw something, he'd rewrite it. You know, because back then you didn't have. All I had was a manual typewriter, and of course I couldn't wow. yeah. see what I had, what I'd written, and so he would rewrite it. And I remember one time turning in a paper. And the word porcupine was misspelled. And it wasn't me. I think I tried to spell it, and I don't know what happened, but somehow or other I got misgraded because it wasn't me spelling and he put it the way he wanted to put it or something. Something was spelled differently from the way I had it and the way he had it. I don't know. But anyway, I got counted off of something. But um, anyway, he tried to help me, and, you know, he, he did help me finish one or two papers <laughs> late at night, um, which I appreciated, um, you know. So that's that was different. But um, a lot of the 
um, people I met, I, I wish I had some way been a boarding student in school just because I didn't have a lot of friends and it was hard for me to make friends um, because of that, because I was at home and um, I didn't get the interaction like some people do. And I was always scared to try to find my classroom the first day. Wasn't sure if I was going to, I mean, I knew after the first day it would be okay, but the first day trying to find your classroom for the day, that was a little scary at first when I was younger. The first year of my eighth grade year, um, my best friend and I got in this huge fight um, the night before school because we both knew that there was going to be a new visually impaired guy, a new blind guy coming to school. Now, she was not blind, but we knew my best friend was not blind, but we knew that there was going to be a new blind guy coming to school. And so we got in this huge fight about which one of us um, we were going to get to try to get him to ask us out. My freshman year, I remember my first day of school getting in, in an argument with my school bus driver because I had skipped seventh grade. And so she was my school bus driver in sixth grade and then in eighth grade. And so um, when she thought I should be getting off at the junior high still, um, she argued with me and didn't believe me that um, I really should be getting off at high school. So um, that was a very interesting start <laughs> to my freshman year. And then... Um, I did attend after I graduated from high school. Um, I attended a I attended the Illinois School for the Blind, um, which that was different for me because um, I had I had missed the first week of of that school because I had some eye issues and so I was dealing with that. But then um, when I by the time I went to school, I had turned eighteen, and so it was really hard for me to kind of like Bill to learn to follow those rules because my parents just, I mean, they, they had rules, but it was, you know, as long as you're home by midnight or whatever curfew was, that was <laughs> fine. Um, so it was really hard for me to go there, especially having just turned 18. Um, because I turned 18, like, on a Friday, and I left on a Sunday and went there. So I had just turned 18. And so, you know, you're all excited then because you get to do, well, you think you can do what you want. Um, and <laughs> so um, it was hard for me to get used to having to be inside of a building at, like, 8 o'clock because I didn't want you to be outside after 8. And so... That was hard for me, and it was hard to get used to that I could only talk on the phone for um, 10 minutes at a time. And then, you know, I had to be in my room by 9. And like Susan Card, um, that year the Illinois school did go to school on Labor Day. And so that was just super weird for me because um, I'd never done that before. So that I don't know if they still do that now, but that was just that was really weird to me. When I lived at home, and especially when I got older, back-to-school time was a great time for me because my mom was a teacher, so that meant that most of August, she
she spent most of the days in her classroom getting it ready, which meant that we could have some peace in our house. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Next we have Dave Wildy. Well, I got to go to a sight-saving class that doesn't exist in the Highlands, and we live in St. Matthews. My father worked off of Hill Street, so he would drive me through Cherokee Park, and there was a squirrel we'd see him every morning, so we just named him Thumper. And so we'd go by Hogan's Fountain, we'd see Thumper, and we'd go up to Grinstead Drive and hit Bardstown Road and turn left and drop me off at Longfellow. Those were really, really good memories. It was just bonding time with me and Dad. Oh, it's a good school. I'd worn a patch over my left eye, the strength of my right one. Now the right one's a good one. But anyway, just really good memories of my father and I. So that's pretty much it. And I had a lady named Miss Beeler who was a real saint. We rode on those, probably the story, a few of you remember. We had big white line tablets with the probably half-inch letters. Some of you may remember those. And we printed everything. I can still print better than I can write today. That's about it. Dave? Uh-huh. Yes? So you went You went to a sight-saving class? Yes, it was Longfellow Elementary. It was a class specifically for low-vision, sight-saving people. This would have been in the 50s, though, so, you know. Yeah. Long time, long time ago. Um, and right. it was a, uh, three or four blocks south of Barge County, Greenstead Drive. I cannot remember the street. The school, I think, is probably now condominiums, but... And I rode the bus home. I rode the bus home, and I transferred from the Bardstown Road bus to the bus to St. Matthews. Didn't think anything about it, you know. And the bus driver knew me, and I got off the right stop, crossed the other road, and walked home. Yeah, I can imagine yeah. wow. that today. Today that wouldn't happen. Kindle. When I went back to school, I knew it was getting school close to school time because I had this uh, this great big trunk, and my mom would be. Uh, putting name tags in my clothes and putting them in that trunk. And I knew it was, you know, getting close to time for me to come back. And then whenever I did come back, I was always the first person to come back. I don't know why, but the, my mom and dad didn't drive, so the guy that brought us back, uh, he always wanted to start leave early. And uh, sometime we'd leave home about 6 o'clock, and we'd get here about, about the time uh, Sunday school was leaving out on Sunday. And uh, anyway, I always hated to, you know, get back that early, but it happened every time. And uh, is that it, uh, is that where you learned to come to all of our meetings early, Kendall? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably <laughs> is. <laughs> but you know, I'd, I'd get back, and there wouldn't be nobody there at the, at the cottage except me and the house mother. And finally, people start drifting in, but uh, I didn't really like getting back that early. Then there for a while, I would get car sick every time I come back. I don't know why, but uh, so my mom started giving me a cup of coffee before before I left home, and that then I didn't get sick. So that's what got me to drinking coffee. Hmm. Kendall, what grade were you in when you first came, or how old were you? Uh, kindergarten. I've had a good time. I hope you all have. Um, yeah. We certainly have a range of experiences between people um, on this call. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. 
Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.